Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Ampliverse Book Club. This month, we read the very fascinating, very delicious The Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean. And here is the lineup of today's book club. Twists the knife on every page. RJ, that's me. Hello. Hello, hello, everyone. Let's see. We've got uh, Keep Surprising Us all the way to the end. It's Allie. Hi, Allie. <laughs> Hi. Welcome. And one you'll want to sink your teeth into, Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Like I said, we read this month's book, which is The Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean. Out on the York Yorkshire Moors live a secret line of people for whom books are food and who retain all of a book's content after eating them. To them, spy novels are a peppery snack. Romance novels are sweet and delicious. Eating a map can help them remember destinations and children when they misbehave are forced to eat dry, musty pages from dictionaries. Devon is part of the family, an old and reclusive clan of book eaters. Her brother grew up feasting on stories of valor and adventure, and Devon, like all book eater women, was raised on a carefully curated diet of fairy tales and cautionary stories. But real life doesn't always come with happy endings, as Devon learns when her son is born with a rare and darker kind of hunger, not for books, but for human minds. Ooh. I felt like I was expecting a completely different book based on that description. Right, right. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but like, I, I thought it was going to be super different and I, I and I'm not complaining, um, yeah. but I just like based on that description, when I actually got into it, I was like, oh, this is very different. Yes. Same. It's very, yeah. I, the, it's giving you like just the details that you need to know about like the world, but that's really it. It doesn't really kind of give right. you what you're getting into. <laughs> I totally agree. I feel like that, that description leads me into thinking I'm walking into book one of Harry Potter Right. And what I got was like a dystopian Stephen King situation. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, I love me a dystopian Stephen King situation. So I was not upset, but yeah. I also was surprised. Yeah. So, I mean, let's dive into it. We don't really have that much to like, I didn't like pre-plan any points, really. I kind of just said, how did we like this book? And I felt like everyone had very descriptive and like very guttural reactions to how they read this book. So uh, we can just go like around the room. We'll start with Catherine since you weren't here with us last week, uh, last book. Catherine, I'm going to make a wild guess that you were a you you enjoyed this book a little bit. <laughs> I did. I gave this puppy five stars on Goodreads. <laughs> I loved it so much. So as usual, I audiobooked it. Mm -hmm. um, and the accent of the narrator gave me so much life. Mm. I loved it the whole time. And then what's really interesting to me is at the end of the book, they had a surprise 30-minute um, conversation between oh. the author and the narrator. And the author talked about how she was very specific in wanting a Northern accent. Mm. And that was really important to her. She was like, I don't want, I don't want the narrator to sound like they're from London because yeah. every fantasy novel that's set in England, the narrator sounds like they're from London. So I really don't want that. Is the and, author um, from the UK? Is the author from so London? She was born in the United States, okay. grew up in Hong Kong, and oh. then immigrated to England, where okay. she now lives with her two children. 
Nice. So, um, yeah, so she is a very complex. And what the other thing that um, I thought was really interesting is that she is autistic. The author is mm-hmm. autistic and she requested a neurodiverse narrator as well. Oh. And she was like expecting to have to settle yeah. um, because she didn't think there would be a lot of northern voices. And instead she had choices. So yeah, I, I loved that. Um, so the the narrator was like every flavor of neurodiverse you could imagine. The narrator said that she was autistic, ADHD, dyslexic. And one other thing that I don't remember, and I think it I think it's the number version of dyslexia, but I don't remember exactly. Okay. So Um, but yeah, so I, all of that was just like icing on the cake because the whole time I was really, I was, I had to pause it because I was like, okay, I have to go to bed now. Like I I was like, I got to go somewhere so I can listen to my book in the car. Like I really was drawn into the story. Um, uh, the other thing they said in that conversation that I thought was really interesting that I hadn't considered previously was that um, part of what inspired the author was someone making a comment that um, there is no new, like saying something about like, please stop making vampire novels. There's no way to do it in a fresh way. Hmm. And so that's kind of the beginning of the inspiration for this book. Okay. Um, yeah, I, had a bunch I definitely of felt those vibes. I, ne- I didn't connect that until you said that. I was like, oh yeah, I can't, yeah, that me, is what yeah. it's based out. Like that's what it's like referencing to. Yeah. Right. And I didn't get that either until, until I heard it. And then I was like, oh yeah, I, I see it. I see it. Um, I loved that all the characters were hella flawed. Like there was not a even reasonable thought to be found. And I'm here for the crazy. Um, I loved that the main character was like discovering herself and, um, her queerness. I loved all of that. Um, and there was like, I have a few quotes that I saved. Um, but my, my favorite one is it was always the same story. She thought tiredly, just small, angry men clinging to fading power They feared living Mm. without privilege because they'd abused it against others and were now terrified of suffering the same cruelty they'd routinely dealt out. And I was like, yes, (laughs) that's like, this is (laughs) life, (laughs) right? So yeah, so I I just, I really liked it. I liked the storyline and I would love for there to be more stuff from this universe. I really would love that. So yeah, yeah, I don't even know what else to say without just getting super specific, I guess. I don't know, but I really like it. Okay. Allie, how about you? How did you enjoy the book eaters? Yeah. So I enjoyed, I enjoyed reading it. Um, I think we mentioned, I think when we were like, uh, getting ready to read this book that my, my preferred genre is fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I find it's for me, it's because I don't feel like I have to apologize for liking the characters because it's like, it, it, to me, in a fantasy world, you're removing your sense of reality. And so, like, a character can do whatever they want. They can be morally yeah. gray, X, Y, Z. And it doesn't matter because it's not in the real world and they're not – They there's different standards. And so I find just it, – it's just easier for me as a reader to be like, I love this character even though, you know, they – murdered a child for their child right you know like it's just it's easier for me so um I will say for me I think this book 
and I'll explain what I mean. This book would, I would have ranked it higher if it had been a part of a series as opposed to a standalone novel. Yeah. And I looked in, uh, the author actually said on her Goodreads page that she wants to expand the universe. But I found that there were certain things about the book that I was like, if she want to, to me, like if this book were to stand alone in the world of fantasy, I would have liked for her to suss it out a little bit more. I would have appreciated it a little bit more, like delving into different character aspects, things like that. And so I, I thought like, it's very rare that I'm like, this book needs to be longer. But like, I think this book, it actually could have served this book if it had been longer and she had kind of gotten into things a little bit more. Um, mm. But I really enjoyed reading it. I thought it was a really unique concept. Um, and yeah, it was just a fun read. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to pop on and say, I can totally see that, especially when we're looking at like the past of Devin growing yes. up. I, I absolutely feel like that was rushed and I would love more of that. Yeah. So this was my first like deep fantasy novel that I really have ever read I feel like I mean I don't really count the Harry Potter series just because they're more coming of age I feel like uh and it's a series so it's not like you know one distinct fantasy novel um so I was was I like noticed myself scanning through a lot just getting to the dialogue because I think I just wasn't used to a lot of the like big words to describe things so I was just trying to like just focus on like what are the characters saying like really trying to funny like very opposite of Ali like trying to ground it in reality so I could like kind of grasp what's happening like okay if this was actually happening like what am I capturing what am I following along with and I do think that like the present Devon storyline was more that I like followed along it did feel like the Devon in the past I wish that, yeah, if it had like deeper, if it had like kind of longer pair, uh, longer chapters of just like the, how she grew up in the family, like just like exploring what that's like, I would have loved a little bit more world building there, but yeah, it was kind of crazy how fast paced it was. Like I literally was like, we are moving so fast that I was like, it almost feels like a, like it almost feels like an action, like very like, you know, like action packed novel and like almost kind of like a, a, a spy novel in a little bit of like, just like trying to just keep up with the action. So yeah, I do feel like there is a bit of like, it's interesting. And I do give, I give props to like applying these things to a very deep fantasy concept because it's like, how often do you get that, you know, of like, very just lived in like if this was happening right now like how would it progress um so I did like that I I definitely I I enjoyed the book I I really actually enjoyed that pace it kept me like uh, along for the ride but yeah I I'm seeing definitely like if this could have been a series they could have paced it a little bit slower so that way it didn't feel like I was like rushing to like find out like what was going to happen because it literally felt like at the like the last act like so much happened that I was like literally there's so many things that are happening that I'm I kept trying to think about like literally they just like they just met Hester like what maybe like a couple of days ago like it was so fast so 
yeah. yeah. And it's funny because I wonder, I totally agree with the pace too. And I wonder if that's part of why I loved it so much Yeah, because yeah. I fully listened to that puppy on 1.6 and just like, <laughs> like just, and like I said, I just could, I didn't want to stop. And I, I think that that's part of what I loved about it. And it, but I do think that extra, a slower pace and extra content would have served the story well, as Ali said, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm like, maybe this is my, my neurodivergence. This is my ADHD being like, yes, yes, keep going. Give me everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I do really appreciate that. And like, I thought it was, I thought it was still really effective to kind of like have so much action. Cause I, yeah, like even, you know, we were saying like with how it's described, you don't think of it as fast paced as it actually ended up being. So, um, yeah, let's talk about Devin and just what we thought of what kind of a, you know, a hero, a narrator she was and what kind of like struck chords with you and what kind of pushed you out <laughs> about Devin. I do agree with what you said, Catherine, that like, yes, every character is flawed. So it is very interesting to kind of get into all the different characters. And like, you can kind of like generally say that like they've all had they're all on a different like moral compass of making their decisions and it's just very interesting to see how each character plays out but let's start with Devin what did we think of Devin do you do you want to go Catherine or <laughs> I I thought maybe you could go since I've already popped <laughs> okay that's fine, that's fine <laughs> um I thought that she was a very interesting character. Of course, when I start talking to motorcycles drive <laughs> you're by, good, you're it's good. just, I mean, um, I, I think for me, so I can talk a little bit about like what I wish would have been expanded upon that I thought mm-hmm. would have kind of rounded her out more, more fully. I would have loved to see, um, like you mentioned, Catherine, more of her childhood. I thought that there, I think that would have in, informed a lot more of um, kind of the, her character arc um, is, is what her childhood was like. I would have absolutely loved, she has at her first wedding, she has a conversation with, um, Phaedra. I'm going to say that's how you pronounce her name. Yeah. Um, in the audiobook, they said Phaedra. 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 Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you. Th- and thank you, audiobook. Um, <laughs> So I thought like for the conversation with Phaedra, like I thought that was really great and illuminating, but I would have loved even more for her to have had a conversation with her when she was a child Mm -hmm. Um, and Phaedra had first like given birth and had this child, you know, I I think that would have been a really interesting aspect of the narrative that I would have liked to have seen. Um, And I felt like too, the exploration of her sexuality, I, I felt was to me a little bit rushed and that it became like in this like final act like oh I have feelings for Hester and Hester has feelings for me too I was like oh but you know it was like just quickly mentioned as a child where she was like oh women can be with women too and then like when she was going out into the human world she was like oh I you know I can express my gender in this way and that way and I felt like I I think that it could have been expanded more I you know I think it was um I think, I think on its own, it was fine, but I think it could have been even more effective if she had explored it a little bit more and been like, because she even does too mention that there's like men who meet in secret in the book eater community, mm-hmm. um, that are gay. And it's like, 
how did she find out about that? What, you know, is there like a secret underground, like LGBTQ um, part of that community? Like that would be cool to explore, you know? And like, how did she know about this? And like with Jero, I, so I don't know. To to me, those were, I thought that she was a really interesting, complex character. um, And I would love to keep digging in and seeing more about, because I think that there's more to her than, than we totally read about in the book. Yeah, to add on to the sexuality conversation, I think what's hard about it is that the plot is very strongly about like m- like uh, those gender politics of like yes reproduction. <laughs> that is, you need you need to count how many women and where they go to the family to reproduce, and so introducing sexuality in a very like not necessarily fluid, but like not uh kind of like really like detailed enough it feels like yeah but with such strict rules of like you know procreation you would feel like that there would be some type of way with it like even like as much as I loved like Jero and like having uh like an asexual character it did kind of feel like I wish I I wish I could dive deeper into like what did that actually truly mean for him and his family of like one of the sons is asexual. So they just fully cast him aside. You know, like I, I almost wanted to be like, there's gotta be more repercussions to this. And, and I wonder if it was like, well, because they are a rich family, like maybe it's like, you know, just like kind of like even back in the day with the aristocracy of like, if there was a, if there was someone that was neurodivergent in one of the children or like someone had a disability, they just kind of like cast them off and like try to ignore them. But like, it seemed like he still had a little bit of like agency. So I'm like, okay, so then, and then like, even with Hester and like with her, like they're, they, they seem very strong and powerful. And so it was like, okay, then what, yeah, it was just interesting to kind of like incorporate all of that with the world that they were in. Yeah, and I I didn't really, I wasn't really shocked by the yeah. sexuality, but I wonder if it's because I always want that. You know what I mean? Like as a as a lesbian, like, which I don't ever say that. I you always use queer, so that felt really weird. But <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, but that's, you know, I feel like queer is how I identify better. So we're going to just stick with that. Anyway, as a queer person, I'm always looking for queer people in the things that I consume. And yeah, you like look at who's queer coded, like if they're Mm -hmm. queer, are they actually queer or are they just being described as queer without having, right? you know, know, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. And then, um, and, and I talking about things that I wanted more of, when you were talking about how you wanted more of like, well, what's going on with this underground community? It triggered in my brain. I wanted to know where the hell Vic had been. And then when Jero went off with Vic, like what has, what happened there? Like that's a whole book in and of itself. I feel like, like Vic's whole story. Um, Because there's really not a lot of um, resolution (laughs) to what happened to Vic. You know, you just, you just know that, she didn't do well with the whole baby thing and uh she got sent away and i'm like okay well i i don't understand why they're so um i guess because hester fights or not hester um devin fights back i was gonna mm-hmm. say i don't understand why they didn't just send devin away but i guess they tried and it didn't really work out so yeah that does seem very victorian though of like yeah she couldn't send her away send the woman away like <laughs> we won't speak of it and we sent the woman away yeah 
Yeah, but it's it's so crazy because then later when they do finally meet in present day, it's like Vic's just there. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, here's my sister that I've been talking about that I like. Right. And you and it's just like nothing was really strange about her. She was just like this tall woman who was like, Yeah, I feel so bad for you. Yeah, let I I'll help out however I can. I'm like, do are we just not gonna talk about how you've been exiled for the past like 10 however years many years? <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing too, is like, I'm shocked that Jero, to me, if they sent Ramsey off to the Knights for sneaking into a room, why didn't they send Jero off to the Knights? Like, like you said, why is Jero chilling in here playing some video games and Ramsey got sent off to the Knights? So I, I, yeah, yeah, I get that stuff. I agree, Jake. Yeah. It was like a weird, like, because he's asexual, he doesn't have the, the, I don't know the the balls to fight I don't I don't know it was very yeah it was just like it's just very weird because like yeah there are different rules for Vic and then different rules for Jero when ultimately they are kind of like similar circumstances so um well and I just I I thought about I think what the what the author you know not to put words in anyone's mouth but I feel like maybe the attempt there with Jero is that men are are so there's so many of them it's so like oh whatever there's too many of them first of all I think that's what she's trying to say there's too many men right (laughs) there's too many of them and nobody cares what they do like you know yeah yeah it's kind of like showing like there's a little bit of privilege of like, yes, he, because he's a man, he's able to stay in his home, live in his, like the money that his family has and doesn't need to have the responsibilities because there's technically there's an older man that is fulfilling that role to be like, you know, whatever, impregnator or whatever, (laughs) just stupid, which I literally, I did not, when I was reading this book, I did not expect it to be like Handmaid's Tale. Like we have to count the women Very in order to procreate. That I was like, I, this is the last thing I expected. I literally thought it was more just about like, yeah, like girls because they couldn't eat the books that they wanted. It was really more about just like knowledge, which I think there is a bit of that. Like she does address it of like, I have a lot of knowledge, but I can't apply it. But it was more in context of like, how book eaters are different with mind eaters. I don't think, I never really felt like there was well, a difference of like male and I female, felt, you know? Yeah, I agree. I don't feel like that was explored to the extent yeah. that I expected it. Um, that is one of the quotes that I saved. Though, <gasps> oh, is, yes. Um, information is not intellect. Computers can contain entire books too, but they're not considered intelligent yet. It is one thing to have a repository of data and quite another to use it, let alone creatively. And so I don't even think that's comparing the book eaters to the mind eaters. I think that's comparing the lack of, because that's what they talk about all the time is that they can't create, like, which is kind of a sad irony. And so it's, it's, I feel like it's comparing the book eaters to humans, you know, and um, the rarity of that skill to, to have um, creative problem solving um for for book eaters they needed the scientific method no not the scientific method the the other one i don't know because they clearly could do science i mean they could do a uh, major pharmaceutical work yeah <laughs> chemistry i think 
I think it's actually, as you're saying that, I'm it's it's striking me, and it's something that I didn't think a lot about is is the idea of like intelligence amongst the book eaters versus the mind eaters. Because when you think about it, like a mind eater is like what they're consuming is you know the collective knowledge of people who have lived life, and like how that would honestly probably be more valuable than like you know eating ten thousand books, right? Because it's like again. Well, and and so I think it's an interesting it's an interesting commentary on how we value knowledge, like you know, book smart versus street smarts, and how um, the people that don't have like the traditional education or you know background that they're kind of exploited and used by these people who value their like very technical knowledge. And I and I also feel like it's a a bit of commentary on. Um... The fact that the mind eaters carry pieces of the people that they eat with them, you know, we we talk about that in our relationships. You carry what you gain from a relationship. You carry that with you. It's a piece of that person. And so, I mean, that comparison too, because I kind of thought about that as soon as I heard the thing about the vampires, I was like, well, that's a whole new take to consider if a yeah. vampire were to take on a piece of, of the feed, you know what I mean? So I was... I, I agree. Yeah, that's true. And it was really interesting to see how it played out as you got to learn more mind eaters throughout the book. So like varying genders, varying ages. And like, obviously the big one that the story focused on is Kai, the son, who obviously needs to like feed on minds in order to like uh, stay alive. And um having to like think about the politics of like what type of human developed mind he needs to eat to kind of like match what he's able to consume. So like, spoiler alert, I guess if you're watching this, you would already know, but like he, <laughs> he, he, he eats his father's uh, mind because uh, he was like putting him and um, Devin in danger. Cause- his father's an asshole and like good for this baby literally this it was truly like and what was so funny was that like I still gagged like I still was like oh my god when it happened but like I already knew that was going to happen because he she she does a really good job of like you know even in the present day the baby's like I know what it's like to like hurt you or whatever and I was like okay there must have been a, a situation where he feeds on someone that has done harm to her and then you find out and I was like oh that was really smart to kind of like lay that nugget way in the beginning of the book as present day to kind of like give you you know uh and like explains really like why they have a weird relationship of like why this five-year-old is talking like a full (laughs) like 50-year-old adult so yeah that was kind of like interesting like that was those were the parts of like kind of world building that I really enjoyed because it's like oh yeah you have to like think about the rules of like what if a baby eats an adult's brain like they don't know how to process any of that so he had to eat another baby it was just insane (laughs) oh man I could never honestly if I (laughs) you told me you just leave that baby you'd be like bye like you know what I, I can't do this I'm so sorry Totally not doing it. Yeet the baby. (laughs) Speaking speaking of yeeting a baby, (laughs) I know this is going to be a controversial thing, but I still feel strongly enough about it that I want to talk about it. Let's do it. Go for it. 
so, okay, so the motherhood of it all. And I'm only bringing this up because this is probably the fourth or fifth book that I've read this summer. Where, oh, really? Where it's been, <clears throat> like, this woman doesn't find her agency until she becomes a mother mm. and, like, has someone else to care for. And so I I I'm I understand that what I'm saying might rub people the wrong way, and I totally get that, and I'm not trying to say that my opinion is the right opinion for once in my life. But <laughs> I, I just feel like it really rubs me the wrong way to have a character in this book that is in this system that treats women like they're cattle, that like sends them off on their way to be, you know, to to have these babies and and that like it took her having her baby taken away from her to object to the system. Like it just didn't sit right with me that she would be sexually yeah. assaulted, she would be sent away from her family, she would be used in this way and only valued in that way and raised in a particular way and it's like she didn't feel strong enough to object about it until she was like you know, I'm a mother now, there's something greater to this life. And I think, again, the other thing about it is, like, as a person that doesn't want kids, it bothers me sometimes when I feel like sometimes when people become parents, they're like, well, I never would have understood the world the way. And it's like, I don't know, try therapy and then see what, you know, I just, like, yeah, just be aware of, be aware of everything else going on. I mean, it's like, I don't think that having a kid is the only way to like learn about the world in in a larger self and to, and to understand that like, there are bigger things than your own ego. And so I just, I had a hard time with that. And it's just a weird, I don't know that it's just been like this weird coincidence that I've read this like string of books over the summer where it's like I'm a mother now and so I need to change things because I don't want this world to be the same for and it's like why don't you want to change things for yourself like do you not value yourself enough to want to change them I I so that was just one of the things and again I think it's really circumstantial that I reacted so strongly to it and I and I do place value on the fact like I do think it's it's good to have these explorations of motherhood and like Mm -hmm the value that we place on mothers in society and, and everything like that. But there was still just a part of me that was like, Hmm. I wonder though, I mean, like, it's very real to be like, I have been fatigued by this like trope because I've seen it literally in five books in a row. So it's like, what is that saying about how we, it's almost like we're still not really fully, I don't know. Like we're still exploring that, like that, that is something that like there's it's still a hurdle that women have to get through you know speaking for women as as someone that's not one let me explain (laughs) what what hurdles you're going through (laughs) thank you thank you thank you (laughs) i wasn't clear to me before okay (laughs) so for me i i didn't notice that and when i like hearing you say that that um context bothers me as well i totally I, I don't know how I feel about potentially being a mother or not. However, I would say that to me, I don't think that I noticed that when I, when I hear you talking about it and I think in hindsight, why didn't I notice that? I think it has to do with the fact that she is so sheltered. I don't think that she knew that there was anything different. And I think that she also is just like, this is just how it is. And she's been raised that this is just how it is. And then I also think she's very young because they talk about how they like become sexually mature early. 
and they have a short period of time where they can reproduce. And so I'm like, she's probably a teenager. You know what I mean? And as a teenager, I don't know. I mean, there are teenagers that have that much self-awareness and that, you know, can, can rebel against the system. But I, I don't know that I would have been one of them. But I, at the same time, it's like, I totally agree with that trope being frustrating because we can, as women, just want to improve the world because we want to improve the world, you know? So I, yeah, it's like silently, it's like silently trying to affirm that like, that is because that's how like the story is treating like women of like, that is their only power is to like, you know, give birth to more women, (laughs) which I guess is, uh, is a sleigh that it was like, oh man, a boy. Like that was nice to read. Oh God, a boy. Like that was nice to see for for once. But yeah, like it's like, uh, yeah. Like then that kind of like permeates obviously of like, um, their whole world will change once they have, once they become a mother, but then it's like, because they even lay it out in the stories, like all the aunts, the aunties are like, it's going to be terrible. Just so you know, you're going to hate it. And then you're not, you're, you're going to want to run, but blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I really, I truly did not realize that it was going to be a handmade situation. Until no. I was like, oh. And I didn't, I didn't realize either. Like I thought from the summary of the book, I thought it was going to be like this new thing. This mind eater was like this new thing. I didn't realize that they were like, that it was oh, like, yeah, this is just mind part of happens me. all the time. That's just part of our community. Yeah. Agreed. So. I thought it was going to be like a, like a one-off. That's what mm-hmm. it sounded like to me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, RJ, when you talk about like the, um, uh, it being like, this is your only value. That is how they teach her. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. And that's yeah. how she was raised is that this is your only, this is your only purpose. Role. This is your yeah. value. You are a princess. We will feed you these books and this is what you do. And, you know, so I, like I said, the sheltering aspect, it's like, it's difficult for somebody that's been so significantly sheltered to, to have and that's humans. And they talk about how they don't have the creative problem solving and they can't yeah. imagine a better future. So, but it's interesting that the baby was a catalyst for her imagining a better future, because why is that the case? If her eating the book she shouldn't have eaten when she was a kid, wasn't the catalyst for that. Yeah. Here's what I actually want. I don't actually, what I truly want right now is I want um, I want Mani's book about like the mind eaters and the book eaters. Me too. I want yes. it so bad. I want it yes. so bad. And I thought that was a really cool aspect of the book of like starting each chapter with either uh, an excerpt from that book or from just like other books that they've presumably eaten. Um, because or it the kind diary. of like, or the diary, yeah, Kill or Killette's diary. diary. So it was nice to kind of like get a context before you got into the chapter. But I, I, Singy Dean, please, please write that entire book and uh and publish it because I think people are interested. If you, especially if you want to keep building the world, you know. If you're if you're interested in being spooked, there's a book called Ninth House um that uses a very similar kind of mechanism in the book where um it imagines 
I don't want, I'm going to get too deep into it. It imagines that the secret societies at Yale are actually magic. And um, there's like this manual about all these houses. And it's, and so anyways, it reminded me of Ninth House in that regard, in that there, it was like quoting this book that didn't really exist, but you, you see it and you're like, oh, I want to read the fake book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm looking at it now. It's like the basically like, yeah, like the big, big industry players like Hollywood and Wall Street are all actually like houses, right? Or something like that? Um, well, there's like different, so Yale has secret societies. I'm assuming yes, that yes, you'll, yes, you'll yes. be able to edit this out. Um, Yale has like, I don't know, like seven secret society main ones and each of them have, are like, can be known. So there's one that's like very well known for having like famous people that come out of this secret society or like this one is known for like politicians and this one's known for like economists. And um, the book it is a fantasy in, in that it imagines that like what gives these secret societies their power is magic. And so like, you know, a celebrity that becomes famous only does so because of this like ritual that they do mm. that, you know, brings them notoriety or this or that. And um, it's it's spooky and it's good. So if you want to read a spooky book. <laughs> I will say after reading this, I'm trying to think of like, I would welcome obviously reading more fantasy books and stories. I think I, I don't know if I need something more, uh, just a little bit more grounded and just like, uh, a little bit more like slice of life. Like I just need to see like touches of it first. So if you, do you have a recommendation? <laughs> I do, I do. Um, it's called, and I can I can text it to you. It's called The House in the Cerulean Sea. Okay, okay. Um, and it's it's a little bit more young adult, okay. um, but it's also fantasy. And um, it's also an LGBTQ. Um, so... Yes, I recognize this author, TJ Clooney. Yes, yes. Um, it's just very, it's very feel good. Um, okay. And just kind of makes you feel warm inside. So perfect. Um, I'll dive in. On a on a you said it's more young adult, which made me think of I saw um I looked at the author's Twitter and she had tweeted um one of her one star reviews, which said <laughs> that it was a great book ruined by the F word. <laughs> I can't even tell you where that F word was because I was too distracted by the fact that uh, there were tongues in people's ears <laughs> eating I brains. I was a little focused on that more. <laughs> Did you think it was, I imagined every time it was like, like a horny tongue. Like in that, it had like, I imagine horns like, or, like a spike snake. Or something. I figured like it was a snake because if they kept being like dragons, be, yeah. I think it was probably yeah. supposed to be more like a lizard or like a snake, but in my mind, it had like horns on it. Ah. And it was, like bumpy and, and gross. Yeah, I didn't get that. <laughs> we didn't really <laughs> okay. talk. I mean, that's also yeah. um, the accent of the narrator. It was book. So oh, fun. <laughs> book. Book. <laughs> Um, I, I think like, let's just, let's talk about the ending because I'm, I'm just curious, like literally everything happens at the end. Like, it's like this whole family blows up. Like <laughs> it just, it just keeps happening. It's all on fire. It's everything's on literally fire. Literally everything is on fire. Everything's on fire. Everyone's killing each other. Everyone's a great shot. 
first of all, everyone is a great shot. Well, the men are a great shot, so I'm here for that. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I do love that. Yeah, only only the two women are great shots. Um, because I was really worried that like something obviously was going to happen. So it was kind of nice that like the people who were trying to escape escape. Like you don't, you know, uh, for better or for worse. Like yes, they're beat up, but for the most part, they everyone survives and gets out of there. Um, I really didn't expect. Uh, oh my god, I'm blanking out on his name. The brother who Ramsey. Ramsey. I at first I was like. Do I really care about hearing his point of view? Because we had like those two chapters of him. And I was like, okay. So he's trying to like, it wasn't until obviously like when they were at the the turning point when Devin becomes like the spy uh, to, to be, to explain that like, oh yeah, I guess if redemption is like a scarcity now, like the knights really have nothing. They need a purpose and like they, they need to find a way. So I was like, okay, that, I am seeing him to have like more agency, but I don't know. To me, it was just like, I was, I was waiting for him to like, either be like, I am the antagonist. Like I will be the one. So it was kind of cool to, for her to kind of like for, face him ultimately at the end. It's interesting that you bring those two things up at the same time, talking about Ramsey's chapters and the ending, because yeah. that was in that 30 minute discussion at the end of the audiobook. She talked about how Ramsey was one of the last characters to become a part of the oh, book interesting. because she felt specifically like the Knights needed more explanation than what they were getting when he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And then um, he kind of solved that problem and gave a yep. little extra investment because this is her brother, not just some random dude. That's um, true. Yeah. And the, The other thing that she said about the ending is that um, she felt that there were a lot of people that were like, what happens next? Like you just cut it off. And so she wrote an epilogue, but it's only in a specific um, version. And I fully was ready to buy it, but it's only sold in the UK. And I'm like, oh, I want to know the epilogue. That's unfair. (laughs) It's so rude. So rude. I bet That's it's online somewhere. Yeah. Well, maybe not yet, but it probably will be eventually. Just because the book's yeah. so fresh. I'm like, how soon, yeah. you know, that epilogue probably just got written. You know what I mean? Yeah. I will uh, throw a shout out to Jero once again in his super cool uh, game video game room. And the fact that I didn't, let me tell you what I didn't expect. I did not expect Super Mario I did not expect a Game Boy and I did not expect Lara Croft to play a pivotal moment uh, role in this book. Cause I was like, oh yeah. Like when she said uh, Tomb Raider, I was like, it makes sense. She sees herself as Lara Croft and like almost kind of like in a weird way, like in a different way than like eating a book. Like this is another valid form of storytelling that she is like understanding and getting information off of them. Like, oh look at me solve puzzles it's it's like connecting for her that that idea of like book book eaters can't like actually apply all the knowledge that they have like this is the first time she's actually able to do it you know I loved when she called Laura Croft a uh, princess that was my favorite part (laughs) and it's like that's the cons that's the not concept the context that she has for women Mm -hmm. And so that's what she applied. They're all princesses. She's like, well, I yeah. want to be that kind of princess. Yeah. And it's like, yes. 
Yeah, totally. Any final notes, any final thoughts before we uh, chomp up the rest of the book? <laughs> we, we close our mouths. We've had our fill. Um, I really like this book. I think like it was a, it's a, to think that this is like this, you know, this author's like, really, you know, debut novel and um, such a like rich and like creative way to, yeah, think about a new form of fantasy. Like, and it was like very descriptive and clear and vivid that like there was never a moment where I was like confused as to what images she was trying to portray. Even from the like sheathing of her book teeth, I was like, yep, I completely can picture what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, I wanted I wanted to, I did though, when, when I was hearing that, I was like, I would love to see how this would be on film, the book yeah, teeth totally. section specifically. But um, yeah, and highly recommend the audiobook as long as you love uh, a Northern accent, uh, which who doesn't? Who doesn't? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? All right. Well, that is the discussion of The Book Eaters by Sunny Dean. And we've put, um, we have had our fill of book eaters. We are full. Yum, yum, yum. I'm going to sneeze again. Oh my God, I hate this. <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm not. Ugh. I hate the turn of the seasons. It's the worst. Okay. All right. And that is the end of the book eaters. I'm so excited for our next book for the month of September. We will be all reading our first Jane Austen book. All three of us have never read Jane Austen before. And this is our first one. So what an iconic uh, turn of events in this book club. So we will be reading Sense and Sensibility. I'm so excited. Jane Austen's first published work, meticulously constructed and sparkling with her unique wit. Marion Dashwood wears her heart on her sleeve, and when she falls in love with the dashing but unsuitable John Willoughby, she ignores her sister Eleanor's warning that her impulsive behavior leaves her open to gossip and innuendo. Meanwhile, Eleanor, always sensitive to social convention, is struggling to conceal her own romantic disappointment, even from those closest to her. Through their parallel experience of love and its threatened loss, the sisters learn that sense must mix with sensibility if they are <laughs> to find personal happiness in a society where status and money govern the rules of love. Um, the Penguin edition, I'm reading the Penguin whatever, but they there's like explanatory notes and textual uh, like comments and stuff um, because there have been like first and second editions. So I don't think it'll matter what edition we have we'll have if you are purchasing a book thanks to our handy dandy bookshop here at the ampliverse it'll be the penguin um the penguin classics copy but make sure you grab all grab a copy of sense and sensibility and all of the books that we have read here in the ampliverse bookshop because if you purchase a book there it not only helps the ampliverse but also a local bookstore in your area so that's at bookshop.org slash shop slash the ampliverse Thank you for watching or listening along to the Ampliverse Book Club. You can find us and follow us on all social media at the Ampliverse. And we can keep the conversation going across the Ampliverse by joining our Discord server as well. Link down this episode. And finally, if you love the show and the others we do here and feel obliged to tip, you can do that on our coffee linked on this episode, which helps keep the lights on in our universe. Catherine, Allie, thanks so much for joining us, fellow book eaters, princesses. 
<laughs> thanks for joining. Bye. Uh, thanks for joining our book club, and we'll see you next month. Until then, read on. Bye bye. Discovering voices, meeting worlds, the Ampliverse.